Good evening, everybody. We're going to learn through some different thoughts that I've had about the Haggadah this year, uh, thoughts I've had other years, different things I like to share with my children and bring out. And it's important to realize that when you're going through the Haggadah, it's really a, a prime opportunity to develop and teach and give over values that we all have. There's any no end to what we can teach our children and there's everything can be found in the Haggadah. Um, no matter what Yiddish value we're talking about, um, Midas, um, Taira, Tefillah, Abmuna, Bitachin, Belief in Geula, all aspects of our faith can be found in the Haggadah and it's an opportunity to talk about it discuss it, hear questions um, ask questions and inspire people to think I saw an amazing insight in the new Haggadah of Lord Rabbi Lord, Lord, Lord Rabbi Jonathan Sachs Zetzal there's a new Haggadah and uh, some wonderful things there so he, he comments on a fascinating thing it's, it's like a very good point that the very first mitzvah that Klai Yisrael were given in Mitzrayim, other than HaChadish Zezalachem, Rosh which was given essentially to Meshra Rabbeinu, but the mitzvah that he commanded all of Klai Yisrael was to bring carbon Pesach. That's the, the first mitzvah. And when he commands them that mitzvah, he gives them a, like a little drasha. He gives them a pep talk, so to speak. Now, when you think about it, this... This was on the eve of them going out of Mitzrayim. They knew nine Makkahs had just happened. The tenth Makkah was about to happen. And after the tenth Makkah, they're going to go free. And they're going to go free after two centuries of being in Gullus, after being tortured, nearly annihilated, the children killed, uh, enslaved. And now they're going to become free men. And there's going to be miracles, and it's going to be open miracles as there was, and they're going to become the Am Hashem, and they're going to go out and... It was a tremendous moment, and they knew this was the final thing. The carbon Pesach was the final thing that stood be- between them and their ultimate redemption. So Moshe Rabbeinu gives them this mitzvah, and he tells them three things that this freedom will mean. He says, one, that this mitzvah, you're going to keep this mitzvah forever. This mitzvah is going to be for you and for your children forever. And the second thing he tells them is that you're going to going to come to Eretz Yisrael and you're going to continue to keep this mitzvah in Eretz Yisrael as well. And number three, he says, Your children will ask you, What are you doing? And you'll explain to them what you're doing. And then it says, The whole nation of Klai Yisrael bowed down and they thanked the Kaddish Baruch Hu and they praised the Kaddish Baruch Hu in gratitude for this, these three things that Hashem told them. And Rashi explains very specifically, what were the things they were praising for? What were they thanking HaKadosh Baruch Hu for? They were thanking, number one, that He had informed them that they're going to be redeemed. He had made it clear that the redemption is going to happen. The Yitzhak Mishra is going to happen tomorrow. Number two, He had told them they're going to enter Eretz Yisrael. That was a promise He gave them they're going to enter Eretz Yisrael. But number three was that they're going to have children. He promised them they're going to have children. Now, these were people that were having shisha b'karasechad, right? They were having six children and a shot. Their houses were full of, full, full of children. And uh, they get, thanked him that he promised them that they were going to have children. So Rabbi Sachs points out that he says, no, you have to look at the whole thing and understand what's going on here. All three things, essentially, is he's telling them how they're going to educate their children. 
in the future. Uh, now at the point of them, the cusp of them becoming the Jewish nation, of them becoming the nation, a free nation living as Avdei Hashem, mm-hmm. first time in history, that they will come free of the bondage of Mitzrayim, and he's defining them as a nation. So rather than expounding on how wonderful Eretz Yisrael is going to be, and how powerful they're going to become, and how much riches Zavos Chalavetz Vash they're going to get, he doesn't talk about any of that. Instead, he demonstrates to the nation that's being formed at this moment that you're going to be a nation of educators. That's what you're going to be. You're going to be a nation that teaches your children. And he was teaching them that true cheres, true freedom, is not through fighting a war, not through owning a country, or not through a revolution. Cheres is earned through knowledge that's passed down from generation to generation. Klal Yisrael is free because we remember the mar, the bitterness of being enslaved, and we rejoice in the freedom of knowing how to serve Hashem. And I just want to quote him because he says it so beautifully. He says, What Moshe Rabbeinu taught, and what the Jewish people came to discover, is that you achieve immortality not by building pyramids or statues, but by engraving your values on the hearts of your children and they on theirs, so that our ancestors live on in us and we in our children and so on until the end of time. And if you look at the Psukim, it's like really, it hits you like that's what Moshe Rabbeinu was telling them. He wasn't telling them anything else. They're about to do the last mitzvah that'll take them out to freedom. And all he talks about is how you're going to teach your children about this. You're going to be a chak for you and your children forever. You're going to, when you go into Israel, you're going to continue doing this. You know what you are. You're a people of the book. That's what you are. You're a people who live with Haggadah Shal Pesach. That is your freedom. And the point of that is, is that a Yid's home is not a physical place. We feel at home in a shul. We feel at home in a bismedrish. We feel at home listening to a shir. It doesn't have to do with a physical place. It has to do what surrounds us, what we're engrossed in, what we're ensconced in. And that, more than anything else, is such an important aspect of what we're accomplishing here. We're doing primarily what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted us to do as a nation, which is teach our children about Him. And that's what defines us. And that's our true home. That's when we feel at home. That's what we've had throughout all thousands of years of Galas. What we've had is HaKadosh Pesach. We've had what we teach. My, <clears throat> you know, I mentioned on Shabbos, with Shabbos, a little drasha how when my father, Harani Kaparas Meshkabe, he would perform the Seder, uh, you know, and how he would be really, um, essentially, all he could wait to is to get to the matzah and the mar. And even though he loved Vertlach and he loved talking Divrei Taira and he loved that kind of thing, but when it came to the Seder, he just he wanted to get to the matzah and the mar. And the funny thing is, my brother just sent out an email and he said, you know, can any of us like remember a different Vertlach that my father would share by the Seder, so we can like say it over, you know, we can remember him by the Seder. So, you know, I didn't start thinking about it yet. I'm sure if I think about it, I'll come up with different, you know, uh, different things. But to me, what I remember from my father and what sticks with me is the reverence. The reverence he had for the Seder. It was a thing. It was, he, 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 it was, you felt that feeling of Kedusha that he was experiencing. You know, he, he, he didn't joke around by the Seder. I'm not saying he made it, you know, serious and it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't intense in that way, but it, it was a very tremendously uplifting, and you could just see it in him. How uplifted he felt by the Seder, how much Kedusha he felt, he demonstrated it had, how, many holiness, how much holiness it meant to him, and of everything and anything, that's what sticks with me. 
And we can do the same thing for our children as well. And it's extraordinarily important to give over that feeling of what the Seder is. And it is. It's a moment of tremendous holiness when we can achieve so much. We, we can't really begin to estimate the effect that Sifri Tzitzim's Rhyme has on our children. And I, thought, I saw this beautiful thought. I've said this before, and I said it to, to, to the woman. Also, this, this chat from Rabbi Yashiv, which, again, it just it rings home this message that we're saying over here, that we, we define ourselves as people of Tyra. We define ourselves as people that we give over a message, we teach values. So in this passage that I was talking about, that Moshe Rabbeinu tells Klai Yisrael they're going to have children, he mentions the question of Mazois and Ma'avodah uh, Zeslechem, actually. And, uh, and it says that Klai Yisrael bowed down and they thanked him for telling them that they were going to have children. And Rashi says that was why they thanked. But the funny thing is, is that we know that this child being referred to in this passage is the Ben Rasha. That's the child, that's the question of the Ben Rasha. So have Moshe Rabbeinu told them they're going to have, and as Hashem in the future, they're going to have a Ben Rasha. Now, that doesn't seem like such a great reason to, to, to bow down and to, to praise HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But Rabbi Yashiv says an amazing answer. He says, the Mechilta says that they thanked Hashem that they would have children and grandchildren. And this is a promise that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives us. The Torah will never be forgotten by, by Jews. The child who's a Russia might ask, and he might, his question might not be a question as much as he's trying to question the Yiddishkeit in general. He doesn't want to understand, maybe he's trying to just question it, but he still comes to the Seder. But he's going to leave, and eventually he's going to, he, he might go down whatever unfortunate path he goes down. But then there's going to come a time when he has children, and his children are going to turn to him, and they're going to ask him the same question, What is your life? What, you gave up Yiddishkeit for what? Avoidah for, 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 for your meaningless life. So the Mo'avoidah is a double entendre. It has two meanings. There's the, there's the question that the Russia asks, but then there's the question that the son of the Russia is going to ask him. And he's going to ask him the same question. What is this? What have you given up? Your whole, your, your whole Yiddish guide for this? What, have you given, what, what, what meaning does your life have? And that's a promise that Kaddish Baruch Hu gives us. It's going to come back. Everybody will have a child, will have a grandchild. Your children will come back to you and eventually ask you the correct question. They're going to want to learn what Tyre is all about. Rabbi Zilberstein says, he tells of how there was a, a tourist group of older Israelis from the Kibbutzim who went to see the Kaisel. And, you know, the same way uh, people from New York will have lived in New York their whole lives and never went to see the Statue of Liberty or the Empire State Building, and people who live over here in Washington will never have gone to see the White House. So there are people who live in Eretz Yisrael and will have never gone to see the Kaisel. If you're non-religious, they just never went to see it. So these people were in there going to the Kaisel for the very first time in their lives. And they were there part of, as part of a sightseeing tour. And then there was, as, as they walked in there, there was a shear going on, which I, I, I saw, I think, pretty sure I saw that shear, same shear going on. It's in the, inside the, you know, the part of the Kaisel that's, that's covered on the left. So there's a shear, a Dafyami shear going on. A whole bunch of people crowd around, a little, you know, just to leave the little space they have there. And there's a person, his name is Rabdav Zichrman, he gives a Dafyami, he gives a Dafyami by the Kaisel. And they started listening to what he was saying, and they understood it. So they stood rooted to the spot. Uh, for the better part of an hour, just listening to his Dafyaimi share. And when he was finished, they said, you don't know how lucky you are that you grew up this way you did. We lived in a kibbutz, we were denied this life and this truth. 
and we would have given everything to have been given this sense of purpose and this clarity and this, um, this truth at a time when we could have made use of it. And that's the promise that Kaddish Baruch Hu is giving Klal Yisrael. Your children are going to ask the right questions. Just be patient. It's going to come back. And that's what we do. We, tra- we transmit what HaKadosh Baruch Hu is trying to teach and telling us that we're going to teach generation after generation. And Rabbi Solomon says in the introduction to his uh, Haggadah, he writes that although the, the Haggadah is divided up into four sons, he says there's a lot more than four kinds of sons. There are many, many different categories of children, and each one has to be related to on a level that they can understand and, and how with things that appeal to them. And that's the job that we all have, to understand each one of our children, what will appeal to them, what will talk to them, what will incite their interest, and see to address that as best as we can. I saw a wonderful question asked by the Navaminska Rabbi Zatal, also a new Haggadah that came out this year. You know, there's a famous uh, little vertel that they say over from Rav Meir from Premishlan, and they ask it. They he said they asked uh, they asked him why is it that there's a new Haggadah that comes out every year, which is a, a fact, right? There's a new Haggadah printed every year. So he said the reason is is because the Ben Russia from last year is not a Russia anymore. He did tshuva by now, so you need to have a new Haggadah. So anyway, so the, there's a new Haggadah from the Navamitzka Rebbe Zatzal, and uh, he has a question over there which I never thought of. His question is that we break, we do yachats, we do it on the middle matzah, right? So we know that the three matzahs are Kayin Levi Yisrael. So he, we break the middle, the middle of the matzah we break, and it's, that's Kenegad Levi. He says, why in particular do we break the middle matzah, not the top matzah, not the bottom matzah? Why, what is it about the middle matzah that that's the one that we break? That's a great question. And I don't know why I never thought of it, which is <laughs> a very obvious question, right? Got to be a reason why, in particular, you take the middle matzah, and it's also part of the, you know, the nusuch that the children say, and you break it, you know, why, why is that? And he asks another question, which is also a good question, is that why do you have to break a matzah and put one aside for Afi Kaiman? Why don't you put aside a whole matzah for Afi Kaiman, which incidentally would be a great idea, right? We would have much more matzah, we wouldn't have to divide it up into tiny little crumbs so that everybody gets. Why are you putting away a half a matzah instead of a whole? So he, he writes, and this is uh, part of his, his I'm, I'm using his answer, and part of something I was also thinking, inspired by his question, but Mafarshim say that the two halves of the matzah, when we break it and we split it, we put one half away, this is what it really represents. One half represents the Golos of Mitzrayim. That's the half that we, our Lacham Sha'inan, Dvarim Harbe, we say all about the Sibriti of Mitzrayim, that's the half we keep in front of us. But the half we put away, the half of Apikaimen, that represents the Golos HaAsida, the ultimate Golos that's going to happen when Mashiach comes. And we put our matzah away, we hide it, because that, that Golos is hidden from us. That Gula, I'm sorry, is hidden from us. So we don't know when that's going to happen, and we don't know how it's going to happen. But we know it's going to be bigger than this Gula. The Gula of Mitzrayim was tremendous. There were so many miracles. There was miracles of the, the Ten Makas. There was miracles of Itzias Mitzrayim. There was Ananiya Kavit. There was Mon. There was Kriyas Yamsuf. But the miracles that are going to happen when Mashiach comes are going to outshine all of them. It's so much so that we're going to stop talking, so to speak, about the miracles of Yitzhak Mitzrayim in the awe and, and, and the excitement that there is to talk about the miracles that will happen when Mashiach comes. And the, there is a connection between these two halves, and that's why we break it in half. 
is because this half, the half of, that represents this redemption, is what gives us the confidence and understanding that there's going to be an eventual redemption. It's the, the belief and the understanding and the Messiah we have about Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim, about that Ka'ula, that, that gives us the confidence and the Kayach and the ability to continue through Golos after Golos after Golos of hundreds and thousands of years to believe that the Ka'ula is going to happen. And that is a message that we're transmitting here. Now, though, what is it that connects these two Ga'ulas? What, is it, what power is it that we have, that we know, that the Ga'ula of Mitzrayim will ensure that the Ga'ula Hasid is going to happen? And the connection and the power is the Kayach Atayra. That's what it is. It's Kiloisi Shakach Mipizare. That's how we know the Geula Hasid is going to happen. The way we know Mashiach is going to come is because we know we're going to stay Jews. We know we're going to stay and stay strong in our belief in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and we know we're going to stay committed to the mitzvahs of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and there's only one way we know that's going to happen. The way we know that's going to happen is because we teach Torah to our children, and we continue to teach Torah to our children, and we revere Tamid HaChachamim, and we look for Rebbeim, and we look to teach each other, to teach Tamidim and to teach children as much as we can. And that is Shevet Levi. Shevet Levi is the Shevet Levi themselves, but Shevet Levi is also an icon. There's a famous, very famous Rambam in the end of Hilcha Shemitah and Yoivel. I'll just look it up over here. Where the Rambam says it very clearly that Shevet Levi is, um, is just a, is a symbolism. You're not, you're not, it's not limited to Shevet Levi. Shevet Levi are the people that they, they, they are the icons who are people who, who gave their lives to Limud HaTayra. They gave their lives to teaching Klal Yisrael. But anybody who wants can be part of Shevet HaLevi. He says, Not Shevet HaLevi alone. Any person from all walks of the earth that he has the inspiration he wants to stand in front of Hashem to serve Him and to, to be a servant to know Hashem and and he gets off from his shoulders his worries about how he's going to support himself. He's gotten all the kedusha that Shevet Levi has. He's gotten all that special elevated status. You can every single Jew can attain that status. And Hashem is his portion. And he will get and he will be supported in this world the way Hashem took care of the Kahanim and the Levim. And we say, You, Hashem, are my portion and you will take care of my, what I, my needs. So when we, say, when we take the matzah that represents Levi and we break it in half, we're demonstrating, and this is such an important value. To communicate and to talk about that it's Tyra that keeps us together and it's Tyra that defines us and it's Tyra that's going to bring Mashiach and it's the only thing that's going to keep us and it's the only thing that has ever keep, kept us as Jewish people and that's why we give such reverence to Tamid HaChachamim we give such reverence to people that learn Tyra we give such reverence to the people that teach us Tyra every level of person that teaches us Tyra from our parents to our grandparents to our people that are greater than us our, our colleagues to people that, that are our Rebbeim and the people that are the Rebbeim of the whole of Klal Yisrael and that's why that is our greatest wish and it's our, our greatest Nachas when someone achieves that someone is able to become a Tamil Chacham someone is able to marry a Tamil Chacham right? someone is able 
able to uh, that, that their children could be Talmud Chachamim. That's the greatest zechus uh, for any person in Klal Yisrael. That he is a part of ensuring the continuity of Yiddishkeit. That's just a beautiful thought in Yachatz. A beautiful thought of what Yachatz represents. I saw uh, also a I like to say over a lot uh, from the Spinker Rebbe. The Spinker Rebbe says that the Yachatz represents the connection of Klal Yisrael and the Kaddish Baruch Hu. The smaller matzah is Klal Yisrael, the larger matzah is a Kaddish Baruch Hu. And he says you break it in half, and in a way that you can, you know, the halves could be fit together. So it's kind of like a pikadin. We're kind of holding each other responsible that a Kaddish Baruch Hu will, will be there for us, and he'll be there for us. I, 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 one year I bought uh, for my children a whole bunch of these necklaces that are uh, BFF, for, you know, best friends forever, and they're broken in half. You know, so one friend holds one half, and one for the other friend holds the other half, and then you can fit them together. So that's that's the concept of the achatz. Us and a kaddish baruch we have this relationship going that we always he has one half, we have one half, and we're inseparable. <clears throat> you know, the Gemara says that you should be giving out kloyes v'agoyzim to your children. Uh, we mentioned this Gemara on uh, Shabbos Yadol. We're talking about the, the Gemara with the Dalit Kaisis. And uh, the modern-day equivalent of that is candy. And it's uh, largely a f- somewhat of a forgotten minig, but we've substituted it for perhaps other kinds of inspirations and other kinds of um, incentives that we give our children to participate in the Seder and to be involved and to ask questions. Uh, and it's a very important thing. If Chazal took the trouble and found it important to advise us how to do it, they even gave us what particular candy we should give out, which I guess was popular then, the Klaus and Agaizim, uh, we should take that to heart and do the same thing. Um, and there's one, one pshat that they say that the, the Chacham says, um, you know, you know they, they say that um, the, the question he's asking is that, you know, you just gave out all this candy, the Klois and Agaizim, and you never let me eat candy before the meal. You always tell me to wait to eat candy after the meal. So why are you giving me candy now that it's before the meal? And we answer him that because this meal, you're not going to be able to eat dessert afterwards. You're going to have to eat your dessert before. So that's why we're giving you the candy now, because after you finish the meal, you're not going to be able to eat anymore. That's the answer that we give him. But the, 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 it's an interesting shot, but the, the, there's a symbolism in that. The symbolism we're really telling him is that when we give candy in order to inspire questions and in order to learn more, we're trying to make a connection. We're trying to make a demonstration. We're trying to give that connection, that feeling of, you know, uh, that, that, that Tyra equals something sweet. Uh, learning Tyra gives you reward. And when you're younger, it's very, you know, this is the reward for that. But when you get older, eventually we come to the understanding that the Tyra itself is the reward. So that's the mitachshma but that association is important. The original association should be: you learn Torah, you get a reward, you get candy, you ask questions, you get another candy, and then as things progress, the understanding is is that the real sweet dessert is the afikaimin itself. The mitzvah itself is the dessert. The Torah itself is the is the candy. That's the reward, and then at that point, no other reward is necessary.
I saw this uh, powerful story from Rav Fischl Schachter, which is also a, a thing to remember. He he was in in the Catskills in camp, and there was an old Yid, a Holocaust survivor, there with him. And he the the the, the old Yid was not wasn't feeling well, so he had to go to a hospital. But he couldn't really speak English; he only spoke Yiddish. So Rav Fischl Schachter was young. He came went along with him to the hospital. He accompanied him. And the attending doctor, who might have been a Jew, uh, asked the man, how old are you? So official Shachter translated it for the man, and he told him, no, the doctor wants to know, be out this to how old are you? So, you know, this guy, who knows if he even knew how old he was, you know, he, those days they forged their birth certificates as it was, you know, as what was necessary to have their age, whatever was best for them. But he asked him, how old are you? So the, the man looked at him and he said, the, the doctor wants to know how old I am. Zogim, tell him, Tell him, I think that I've eaten 85 afikaimans. <laughs> That's, tell so, so Rabbi Shachter translated this to the doctor. He said, well, he says he's eaten 85 afikaimans. So the doctor says, what's an afikaiman? So he explained to him that it's the, the dessert that we eat by the Seder meal. So the doctor said, now why would he count his age in that way? Why would be that the way he calculates how old he is? So Shachter says, I imagine, doctor, that he looks at his life and he sees what he's been through. His earlier years were probably in a small village, a shtetl in Poland. And he was happy and he ate his afikaimen with his family. And then came the war and he ate his afikaimen probably just barely with nothing else to eat in the ghetto. And the next year when he was in the concentration camp, he ate nothing, but he made believe he was eating afikaimen in, 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 in the concentration camp. And then in the DP camp, he pieced together whatever life he had, and he ate afikaimen, and then he immigrated here with nothing and nobody, and he rebuilt his life, afikaimen after afikaimen. Each year, it was a, a point, you know, it was a goal point, where he said, so where have I come, what have I gone through, what have I suffered through, and look how far HaKadosh Baruch has helped me. So he measures his life by afikaimens. And that's the way we should measure our life as well. It's a, Afikaimen is a point when a person can reflect on what last year Pesach was and the Pesach before and the different Pesachim, different Pesachs that we've lived through, how different each one is, how much they've added to our life. And it's also, again, something to share. It's something to transmit to our children the different parts of our life, the different things we've been through and how much we've learned from them and how much we've managed to grow from Afikaimen to Afikaimen. Another talking point that there is in the Seder is the chesed that Kal Yisrael performed in Mitzrayim in order to ensure that there is Zoycha to Agula. The Chazal say that Kivin Shabo Yisrael V'roh Sharachma Shal Kaj Baruchum Ruben Kal Yisrael saw, you know, Kaj Baruchum has tremendous Balarachamim and they said if we would be Zoycha the Shekhinah would never leave from us so what should we do to make sure that the Shekhinah stays with us in Mitzrayim? So they, they decided and they said, They understood that it's, it's only if we'll stay together, if we'll band together. So they made a covenant between them, that they should perform chesed with each other. And they should garden their hearts. So they preserved their identity as a nation and ensured that Shekhinah will stay with them by taking it upon themselves to perform chesed with each other. Now what kind of chesed did Klai Yisrael perform for each other in Mitzrayim? What, what was this chesed that they were doing for each other? 
So one, the Sifzei Kayin, one of the Tamidim of the Arizal, in Sefer Chomish called Sifzei Kayin, he writes, that means if one person couldn't fulfill his quota of bricks, well, someone else stepped in and filled it for him. And they had a system, so they had a chesed system, right? So that means if you said, oh, I can't do it today, so they said, okay, call this number, and, you know, we'll find someone to, <laughs> to, uh, to fill it in for you. And I don't know if you saw that they already set up in Orlando, they set up uh, Haverim, they set up a number for Hatzala, whoever's from Haverim who goes, who's going to Orlando this year, they, you know, they, they organized and they made a Haverim system and they made a Hatzala system. That's, that's the way you didn't work. You know, you didn't organize and they organized Chesed and they organized ways to help each other and in Mitzrayim it was no different. They had organized Chesed to help people that were in need, people that couldn't fill their quota, people that couldn't do what they, they needed to do. And I saw another chat. Uh, say for the Haggadah Masika R, he explains the Targum Yonison that says that Vachamushim Alu Bnei Yisrael, right? So we know that Vachamushim Alu Bnei Yisrael means Rashi says either it means they went armed with uh, you know with with, with weapons or Vachamushim means one fifth of Klai Yisrael left Mitzrayim, the other four fifths died in Makas Chayshech. But the the Targum Yonison says Vachamushim Alu Bnei Yisrael they left Mitzrayim with good deeds. They were armed. With their mitzvahs, with their chasadim. So he says, what, what kind of, uh, what, what, how does that fit into v'chamushim? So he explains that we know four-fifths of Klai Yisrael died in Makas Chayshah, but that would only be the parents. That would only be the adults, right, who were, just didn't want to leave Mitzrayim, and they made that choice. They made a choice to abandon Klai Yisrael and not follow Moshe Rabbeinu. So they died in Mitzrayim. But what about all their children? They all had families. They all had children that were katanim, that were most certainly not judged for death just because their parents didn't want to leave Mitzrayim. So he said what happened is is that all the rest of Klai Yisrael absorbed all those children into their family. They adopted all the children that had lost their parents in the, during, during Makas Chayshach. So here you had families that had Shisha B'Karas Echad, right? They had their 6, 12, 18, we don't know how many children that they had, and now they were absorbing another four-fifths as much from all the rest of Klai Yisrael, right? It was a level of, of chesed that's probably unparalleled ever. The whole of nation took them all along with them into the Midbar with nothing to eat and nothing to do. And they did that with a tremendous amount of mysterious nefesh, you know, to, to, uh, for chesed. So that was the chamushim, Olu Bnei Yisrael and Mitzrayim. It wasn't the one-fifth. They left with the other four-fifths as well, now with them dead, but with the power with the children that they left behind, they left with all of them, and that was the, the, uh, the weaponry. That was the defense that they took to go out into the Midbar with. And uh, Sefer Me'il Tzedek, written by the Shevet, Hamu, Shevet Musar, he writes that we, that's why it's so important that we start the Haggadah with Kol Dechfin Yechel Yesev Yechel. And we know, you know, at that point in the Haggadah, we're making an announcement by the door, Kol Dechfin Yesev Yechel, whoever wants can come and eat, you know, how literal could that possibly be? But what we, what we are communicating, and we're communicating it to our family, because that's who we're talking to, is that this is what we really feel. We are ready to invite anybody. We open the door and there's 20 people there that need to eat. We'll figure it out. We'll help them out. We'll make them a place to eat. We'll organize something. So that's the Kol Dechfin Yesev Yechel. We start the Haggadah with that because that's the way Yitzhiz Mitzrayim really began. It began years and years and years and years before, perhaps hundreds of years before, when Kla Yisrael made that covenant, they made that bris, that decision, that they're going to do chesed together and they're not going to give up on each other. And that achtos, that aguda, which followed through them leaving Mitzrayim was what gave them the schusim that they needed to, uh, to, to take them out of Mitzrayim more than anything else. And again, that's something so important to talk about and reflect upon. 
opportunities that we have as Yidin to do chesed, opportunities we have to help each other, opportunities to help other people as Yachid, to see and look for opportunities to help people. That's what such an important aspect of being a Jew is, is uh, to be there for each other. <clears throat> I mean, one of the things we mention in the Haggadah is Chiris Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. And Chiris Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim is how we take Sipri Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim throughout the year, right? So on the night of Pesach, we talk about Mitzrayim, Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim a lot. We give over all kinds of the values and messages we want to give over. And then during the year, we have Chiris Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. We mention it in Kriyashma, we mention it in the day, we mention it at night, we mention it twice a day. Which means you're supposed to take a little bit of Yitzhiyas uh, Mitzrayim with you throughout the year. And it's a wonderful thing to think about, to try to think of at least every year, come up with one aspect of inspiration that perhaps you can carry out throughout your year. You can find some way to apply it and remind yourself when we say Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, remind ourselves what, uh, you know, what, what that is, how it is, and how, how we'll do it throughout the year. Uh, there's this story I read, a beautiful story, uh, of a Russian man who came to the Beisden in Eretz Yisrael to ascertain his status as a Jew, right? He wanted to be able to get married, he wanted the Rabbanut to sign off on his marriage, so he had to prove that he was a Jew. So he brought with him a witness who was by his bris. So he had one aide, one testimony that was there by his bris. Now after that person testified, the Av Bezden asked that maybe you can get another witness so we could have two aides. So the Jew who testified said, you know, I don't think that's necessary. You don't understand who you're dealing with. Let me tell you about this person's mother. She was a doctor in Russia. She was a physician. And we, I worked with her. We worked together in the same hospital. And she would give me one potato every single day of the year. And this was at great cost to our family because it was very, very difficult to get food and they needed every little bit of food they could get. But she gave me a potato every year, 365 days of the year. Now, why did she do that? She did that because once a year on Pesach, I would provide her with shmura flour so that she could make matzah, according to her own strict standards. So she gave me a potato every day of the year so that she would be able to have some flour to make matzah for her family on Pesach. So, and this was also at risk because sharing that and doing that kind of thing was at risk of being discovered and being sent to Siberia. So this is what his mother was. Do you need any other testimony that this person is a Jew? He's a Jew. So the Abbez then asked if the mother is still alive. And she was, and she actually worked in a hospital in Tel Aviv. So she was called, and the Av Bezdin got on the phone and asked her if she keeps Shabbos. So she said she doesn't, and then he asked her about the story, if it's true, and she got emotional. And she said, I wasn't able to keep Shabbos in Russia. It would have cost me my life. But I had to come to the hospital and work on Shabbos. But I was determined to keep Pesach the way I always had. So the Av Bezdin told her, you kept Pesach not once a year. You kept Pesach for 365 days a year. And on you, it's, it's well said, Ushmartem es hamatzis. You were watching and waiting for those matzis every single day of the year. You were guarding your matzis with all that you had, every ability you had, every day of the year. And that's something we can do as well. You know, we can find a way to make Pesach a thing that we could take along with us and uh, continue to have a little bit of it, create our Pesach throughout every day of the year. That's the message that we're supposed to understand when we talk about Shkir Sitzis Mitzrayim in the... In in, uh, in in the Haggadah, so I, just, I want to finish with the last uh, last thought. The Sefer Nefesh Chaya he writes, why is it that we open the door for Elio and Navi? Right? He said he's clearly not flesh and blood. Right? He's not a living person, uh, and if he's able to make it to every Jewish home on the planet, 
So uh, clearly a uh, door is not something that's going to be in his way, right? So why do we need to open the door? However he manages to transport himself around the rest of the world, he'll get through our door as well. So he says what this comes to teach us is that it's, that is true. Elio Anavi doesn't have any problems. He'll get wherever he needs to get to. The problem is us. We have to be ready to open the door. <laughs> if we're ready to open the door, he'll be ready to come. And that's a, a, a wonderful for, a way to close the Seder, that that's what we're trying to accomplish, that belief and that trust in the Gula Asida. And with that schus, we shall all be zeichat el Shana haba b'yerushalayim, we shall be zeichat el yo anavi zarchal this year. Have a wonderful yantik. Thank you.